of Jesus. It has our defense. We can't bring our works, our striving to defend ourselves against the accusation of the enemy, Father. But when he brings accusation, the blood is our defense. Evidence before you right now. Sprinkled right there before you on the mercy seat in heaven. The precious blood of Jesus. We lay claim to that blood shed for us. That sacrifice for us. We believe it. We lay claim to it. That it was that blood shed that cleansed our life from all sin. That we might step out of the dominion of sin. And step into the reign of righteousness with you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you for coming to the earth, demonstrating to us how a man anointed by the Spirit of God could live. A man without sin, free from sin, anointed by the Spirit of God, could live. Power and authority over every strategy of the enemy. Thank you when you left. You sent the Holy Spirit of God to be our strength, to be our guide. To anoint us with grace and power. To live as we ought to live. We're so thankful. Holy Spirit, for your presence in this place. I thank you for utterance to speak as I ought to speak. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. And not just to hear what you're saying. But help us to realize the application of that word as we go from this place. To meditate on it. To have you reveal it to us. That it might become life, it might become action to us, thereby being fruitful and productive in our life. So we give you the glory, the honor, the praise, and the thanksgiving for everything that will be accomplished by your word and your spirit in every heart and in every life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. Morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Praise the Lord. Welcome everybody who's joining us on live stream. We're glad that you are with us this morning. Why don't you look at somebody next to you and say, the life of God dwells in me, and the life of God dwells in you. Therefore, you have victory in every situation, under every circumstance, and in every place. And your victory releases a fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Once again, welcome. Uh, I'm a little uh, slow on the uptake. I can just say Happy New Year. I wasn't here last week. I was here uh, um, on the 31st, but not last week. And so I'm so thankful to Pastor Tasha, the word that she brought uh, last week concerning the preeminence of uh, really God and His word in your life for this new year. And uh, that's so powerful. Uh, what a great word to apply the word of God uh, to your emotions, right, to your relationships, and uh, I'm drawing a blank. The second one? Temptation. Temptation, emotions, and uh, praise the Lord, your relationships. So, so vital not to just hear about it, but to apply it to those areas 
of your life uh, will be critical and really looking at the day we live in. I want to open up uh, this morning just, you know, uh, uh, sharing something with you. I want to encourage you to talk to people this week, send out, bring people next week. It's just going to be a tremendous week uh, with Rick Renner, uh, uh, with us. But you know, on the 31st, if you were here, the Spirit of God really moved upon my heart during prayer, pre-service. We changed what we were saying, and I believe a prophetic word came, came forth um, by the Spirit of God. And interestingly enough, and sometimes people think this, somebody sent me a text and said, oh, I'm sure you have seen this, but I had not seen this. And I'm thankful, you know, I'm not all over uh, social media and different things a lot because I'm trying to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. And he's saying a lot of things, and he's saying the same thing to some people. And so, you know, there's overlap. But anyway, I want to read this to you just to make this connection that God's saying something about 2024. And I've heard a few things after the, the, the prophetic word that came on the 31st already. People are like, oh, too much. Oh, yeah, it's tumultuous. Listen. That is the part that God said, just recognize it. It is not your life. He's already warned us, if you're going to trust in him, it's not your life. If you're going to acknowledge him in all your ways, it will be around you. It'll be rocking your boat, but you have power. He will guide you through. He will strengthen you through. And so they sent this to me, and uh, it says this. The year 2024 will be visited with turbulent episodes across the entire globe especially in the realms of finances and politics and in the nations. These episodes will be of the sort that they will potentially cause those who are not rooted in God's word to be deeply disturbed. So I read that and thought, ah, that sounds like people saying, don't you care if we die? (laughs) Deeply disturbed. But for those who stay in faith, stay in peace, stay in love, stay in fellowship, and keep sowing seed for the sake of eternity, they will experience a supernatural power that will cause them to be unmoved, unshaken, well provided for, and to walk in a much-needed divine assurance. Divine peace, divine power, and divine and supernatural victory. Yes, those who stay in faith, in peace, in love, in fellowship, and keep sowing seed for the sake of eternity will be blessed, empowered, joy-filled, and sustained, and they will miraculously thrive even if the world around them is tossed with tempest. That is 2024 prophecy from Rick Renner. So I had not heard that, but the Spirit of the Lord gave us something very similar to that for 2024. So God's saying something to his church about what it will look like outside and what it should look like inside the church and the body. And so our attention will have to be not on the outside, but on the inside, right? There's no doubt we'll see what's happening around us. We'll have to navigate through what's happening around us. But it'll be more important than ever before that we really begin to take heed to what the Spirit of God is saying to us. And I believe he's saying to it globally, but when he comes to local churches, they'll be saying the same thing in different ways so that we can focus on that. And there will have to be a focus to that and upon that. Amen? And so as we are, you know, as, as, as we enter into this year and uh, we kind of crossed over, I was wondering what should we do about, uh, you know, where I'm at in covenant relationships. I feel like we need to continue in that because within these uh, 
tumultuous times uh, that are coming, these relationships are going to be vitally important. They're going to try, uh, much of them already have tried to break up these relationships. And so this morning we're going to go where angels fear to tread. Amen. We're going we're gonna, to uh, talk about some things. And, and really, I, I was examining this, studying these things. And uh, we're going to have some sheep and goat moments this morning. You know what that is. Sheep go, yeah. Goats say, yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, but. And so what we understand is we try to dive into the truth of God's word, which is not just for us to hear, but the wisdom of God's word is to be applied. And so God's word is to be operational in our lives. Or I could put it this way, God's word is to be functional in our lives. But the problem is, is we live in a dysfunctional society. And so if we begin to be conformed to the world, we see much dysfunction in our relationship with God, dysfunction in our relationship in our marriages and families, dysfunction within the church and within society. And so when we bring the truth of function to dysfunction, it's very difficult to figure out how are we going to start operating correctly in the midst of dysfunction. You know, if we could stop everything and totally reorganize, it'd be one thing, but we're moving at the speed of life. We're moving seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and it's tomorrow's coming. So we can't just simply say, yeah, but. That yeah, but will be there, but it shouldn't be, yeah, but I can't. It should be, yeah, but what do I do next? I'm here maybe because of dysfunction, maybe because of a lack of understanding of the truth, but what do I do next? Because, you know, I was, this came out of the inside of me, you know, uh, uh, people saying, which happens a lot, I can do whatever I want, or I can do it my way. Frank Sinatra had a great song that is the enemy of covenant relationships. Also, it's not my fault. Not my fault. Hey, not my fault. Is an enemy of covenant relationship. We see it from the very beginning. We see it in Genesis. I'll do whatever I want. It doesn't matter what God said about the tree. I'll do whatever I want. Oh my God, something happened. Not my fault. And so there's a place in our society of victimization. No matter what happens, it's not your fault. And again, not to diminish. Again, you're going to have to take broad sweep today. Not just say, yeah, but. People have been victimized. Legitimately victimized. Some people haven't. They've just taken on this thing. But it's still, okay, even if so, and even if it's true, instead of living in that, we should say, what do I do next instead of just saying it's not my fault? What do I do next? Because covenant relationship says no matter what's happened, what's been done to me, more importantly, what Jesus did for me takes me from what's been done to me to a whole different place and a whole nother level.
If we just stop and say, why, God, why? God, why did this happen to me? God, why did this happen to me? We'll stay recycling what happened to me. But if we said, this happened to me, and I don't understand why, but I do and am gaining an understanding of what you did for me, and what you did for me is to break the power of what, been done, what has been done to me, so I might be able to experience the depth of relationship and victory that you have given to me. And we want to experience the depth of relationship and victory that he has provided for us through his own precious blood, not continue to cycle the experience of what has been to, done to us, right? So each and every one of us at different levels can say, something's been done to me by evil people, wicked people, people who meant wrong, people who didn't understand. Right To whatever level, some worse, some better, we could compare. It wouldn't be uh, profitable to do that. But one thing we know, Jesus has died for every single one of us. To undo and to break the power of what Satan tried to do to us so that we might understand the relationship that we have with God. And in that relationship of what we have with God, we might develop and have the relationship with our family that he intended for us to have and that we might have the relationship with the church and, and really come together in those covenant relationships with mighty power, with mighty power. So uh, open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And verse 6 says, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, speaking of Jesus, inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So we can go back to the old covenant and learn some things about the old covenant and what God did, and that covenant made with the blood of bulls and goats, which we've already talked about that. You can go back and listen to some things. I don't want to take too much time with that today. But we live under a better covenant of which Jesus is the administrator. Jesus is the one who brought it forth. Jesus served us a better covenant based on better promises. Better promises. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, uh, every promise of God has its yes and its so be it in Christ. It's yes and so be it. So God says, uh, you know, Paul said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now listen, I just want to drop this, drop this thing in here. So, you know, when, when Todd White was here, I haven't yet watched it because we went on one evening and it looked scary and uh, really not into horror movies or anything like that. And especially Tasha, if she watches something, she could wake up, wake me up at night uh, being disturbed. So anyway, I digress. So he was here and he talked to us about a, a movie that was put out, a Christian movie that looks bad about Nefarious. So it's an interview, uh, again, you have to understand, I've just got input on it, um, uh, with a prisoner who's demon possessed and he's interviewing this guy. He said, how did you get here? Because we think, wow, what, what a big deal. How did you get here? He said, I got here through a series of yeses. A series of yeses. So, kind of like Alan was saying in the offering, God says do this, and I say no. But if I said yes to this, 
God would bring me to another yes, and I would end up at a place of prosperity that God led me into through a series of yeses. But we also go the other direction by a series of yeses to the enemy, saying, yes, I won't give that much. Yes, I will hold that against that person. Yes, I will engage in that sexual immorality. Yes, I'll look at that pornographic picture. Just a series, not a big boom, a series of yeses that leads me down the road. So when we start to look at the covenant that we have with God and the word of God and how important that is, it's a series of, yes, God, I will do that. And every promise of God encompasses itself in an answer of yes to him. Yes to his word. A no to him is a yes to the devil. So we're going one way. We're either going away from God with our yeses or we're going to God in our yeses. So when we're in covenant with him. Everything that we have belongs to him. Everything that he has belongs to us, right? And so in this new and better covenant, we understand the covenant that we have with him, the new covenant based on better promises. Every promise of God has its yes and it's so be it in Christ. So God said yes to you in this covenant. Will you say yes to him in covenant? When we do, there's a binding together of that acknowledgement, Proverbs 3, acknowledgement in all of our ways. If I acknowledge him every way, every part of my life, everything that I do, I acknowledge him as my covenant partner Watch out for direction and blessing. But if I'm a covenant partner with you in church, but not in my marriage. I'm a covenant partner with you in going to heaven, but not in my finances. Well, then we have all these dips and these ups and downs. But when I say we're in covenant all the way, everything, my whole life, your whole life, now we're joined together. The importance of covenant, understanding covenant. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 said this. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way that he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. He says, listen, do you understand this covenant? Man, this covenant is awesome. This covenant brings us to a place where we're not just simply looking at the pages. When we draw it off of the pages or the tablets that he carved it into, all of a sudden we realize what I'm reading there when I accept Jesus is actually written upon my heart and it's written upon my mind. And when I acknowledge what he's written upon my heart and my mind, that conviction, that uneasy feeling, that, that, that either that affirming of like, yes, God, what should I do? This. Okay, I, I say yes. God, what should I do? Don't do this. Well, how did I know that? It's written on my heart. I can go against it or I can move for it, but I have to pay attention to my spirit. 
And if I will, I'll find that what's written on my spirit is also imprinted on my soul. But my soul starts searching around. But he's written it right there in the midst of my heart, in my mind. You start to affirm there's a confirmation of things that we're reading. Once we start to go, that's, that's good, but let me look at all of this. Then we begin to divert. We begin to find a way to find something else written for us. But there's not. So, well, it's, there's so many interpretations of that. Your greatest interpretation of what God is saying in all sincerity and humility is in your prayer life to say, I'm searching for wisdom and revelation. I want revelation of what you're saying to me. And I want wisdom to apply it in my life. Not to just know about it, not to debate it, but to actually put it into practice in my life. 2024, for God to do more, we are going to have to understand that relationship that we have with him through his word and begin to apply that. In other words, begin to act like him, act in cooperation with him, act in union with him as those who are covenant partners. And when we do, it carries to the relationships of our life that he's ordained. So that in that powerful part of a relationship, we begin to be lights wherever we are. And through the relationship that he's ordained for us to have, these covenant relationships, the three that we have been talking about. And so we're going through five ingredients of these relationships. And so number one, we've talked about this, uh, God's relationships, these three are transcendent, which means they're just higher. They're, they transcend the normal. God's ways, God's uh, way about these relationships are higher than our ways. In other words, if we got to determine the depth of relationship we have with God, it would be very shallow. If we get to determine how our, our, our marriage relationship goes, uh, we would miss it by a mile. We would be too selfish, right? If we could understand how God brought all of us together, good luck with that. It's higher. So Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, from, uh, comes down and the snow from heaven do not return there, but they water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing that I sent it. In other words, God says in these three relationships, uh, my thinking about it is heavens and earth apart from what you would think about it. If it's going to be successful, you're going to have to think like I think. And so you're going to have to get into my word and understand what I'm saying about your relationship with me, your relationship with others, uh, with your family, and your relationship with the church. And not do it the way you want to do it, to do it the way that he has us to do it. And so the first thing is it's transcendent. The second thing is that there's a chain of command or a chain of responsibility. I'm going to move. Uh, I'm going to say that. I'm going to give you the third one because I hope we segue into that. Uh, um, the, the third one is every covenant relationship has guidelines. And for us in these three relationships, those guidelines are love 
and respect. Love and respect. I'm tying those together because as we finish up chain of command or chain of responsibility, if you don't understand where we're going with that, you'll say, yeah, but. Yeah, but. So, there's a chain of command. There's a chain of authority. We've talked about this. We, we began this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, God says he just lays out a chain of command. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. We could probably go on to that and say, woman is the head of the dogs, cats, children. <laughs> Everybody has a role, right? But he says that, right? He says there's a place even in the Godhead. We explained this. God said, I don't do anything that the Father doesn't show me. I don't say anything he doesn't show me. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's not going to speak on his own authority. He's going to speak on what the, he, the Father. He's going to transmit from the Father and the Son to you and I. Chain of command. So when we come into family, when we come into that relationship, we understand what we're hearing from the Holy Spirit has to line up with the Word of God. The Word and the Spirit, they agree. So if we feel like we're getting something from the Spirit, we can go back to the Word and say, this came down from God to me through the Holy Spirit. When I apply it, it has power to overcome. Why? Because it came from God. The Word of the King has power. Amen. Right? So the centurion knew this. Jesus said, this is great faith to understand what comes down from the Father. If it has proper translation in authority, will do exactly what the Father said it would do. He said this in Isaiah 55. He said, you might not understand it, but I'm just telling you, my word, when it comes down from heaven through a chain of command, it will accomplish what I set forth for it to do. And it will not return to me void. So he said it's very important to keep that chain of command, the accurate understanding of what that is. And so Ephesians chapter 5 says that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Praise the Lord. See, we're starting to get to, ah. Here's where angels tiptoe. Then Hebrews chapter 13 says that God has put people in authority over us in the church. We could call it five-fold ministry gift. He, we could call it pastors. He puts authority there. He said, honor those who rule over you because they watch for your souls as those who would give an account. So now when we talk about headship, ch chain of command, chain of a, uh, uh, I'll call it chain of responsibility because this word head here is a, a Greek word, kephale, K-A-P-H-A-L-E. And it means in the sense of seizing, in the sense of seizing, the head as the part most readily taken a hold of. So in other words, you can't have too many chiefs and not enough Indians. So if it's in seizing, the part most readily gotten a hold of, that means in a chain of command, you are the one I'm coming to who will be responsible so it's really a chain of responsibility. And so with God, he says, I'll take responsibility. He did. Jesus took responsibility. Philippians chapter 2, it says, we should have this same mind in us that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was equal with God, he didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, took upon himself the form of servant. He humbled himself to submit himself to flesh. And not only did he submit himself to flesh, but in this flesh, he took upon his sin in his own body. He died in what? In obedience to God's word. 
And once he died in obedience to God's word, having taken responsibility for the human race, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow in heaven and earth and below the earth. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. He's master to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So God says, now when stuff's going on, who am I going to get a hold of? Guess who God's going to? Jesus. Aren't you glad that when God goes to Jesus, we already know that he ever, every single day, lives in eternity to make intercession for you. So when God says, what's going on with them? Jesus says, let me tell you exactly what's going on with them. I'm standing between them. I've taken responsibility. And he says, if you'll just honor that responsibility, if you'll respect that which I have done for you, if you'll be in awe of God and reverence to God, I've already loved you so much. You show that respect for me. I transmit authority into your life to overcome the enemy. But when we don't understand that, we don't pay attention to it, we have a problem. And so he's handed down delegated authority to the husband. The head of the, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So let's just say it like this the husband is responsible for the wife, even as Christ is responsible for the church. To do what? To give himself. To the word of God. To know what God's saying. Now listen, before I get too deep into this. You all know me. Who taught last Sunday? (laughs) This woman right here. I respect that. We have women working all over. I believe the power and the gifts that God has put in women. We're talking about not what is oppressive. But what is operational. So we get into that. Well, what if he didn't? What if he doesn't? Stop saying that. If he hasn't and he won't, what do we do now? What do we do now? So because of we want to break this cycle. Men, listen to me. Somebody bar the doors. Wherever you are, stop not paying attention to God's word. The authority that you have is to know what God is saying. You need to be a prayer. We've abdicated this to women too many generations. You need to be a prayer. You need to understand what God is saying to you so that you can say, God, what do I do with this? We present the word. We speak the word. That's where our authority is. We know what God's will is and we obey it. We as men begin to act upon the word to be an example to our family so that when we say something, there's an example to follow. We are not being oppressive. We are not ruling and ordering and being oppressive with God's word. It is not that way. We are guiding, we are directing, and we are standing against the strategies of the enemy with the word of God. If you don't know it, you can't act on it. If you can't act on it, you can't be an example of it. Wow, well, wait a minute. My husband never reads the word. All right, what do we do next? 
Because we'll get in this vicious cycle of, I'm not doing that till he does that. Somebody better do something first. And quit saying it ain't my fault and I'm not doing it till they do it. I charge you men, this year, get into the word like never before. Begin to look into it and say, what's my part? What do I do? How do I stand against the course that I'm going to be an example to my wife and my family? How do I do that? By love. If it's not tempered by love, by the guidelines, you're going to be in trouble. It's not going to work. It's going to be dysfunctional. Dysfunctional. So listen, for every young man in here who's not married, for every father who has a young boy, again, I'm just talking to this right now. It applies to our girls. I just had girls. I had to do with girls. But I'm just starting right here. I challenge you to put the word of God in them and teach them the word and the application of God before you teach them athletics. We are raising a generation of young men who know how to feel the ground ball, catch a, catch a football, hit a hockey puck into the net, and they do not know a scripture. You tell me how we're going to lead families in the future by hitting a puck into a net. But I think it's good for their formation. Yes, teamwork, learning all that, but not before you learn the word of God. So we have dysfunctional families because we have leaders who are supposed to lead by the word of God, not be the boss of their wife, lead with authority of the word of God, yet they don't know what the word of God is, and if they do, they're using it to rule instead of rule their life to be an example. Told you we're tapping where angels fear to tread. But I'm telling you, if you want to put your face right into the midst of the storm of 2024, and come out victorious. You're going to need this. And you're going to need to apply it. And not make excuses for it. And it applies. And so church leaders, we need to know the word of God. You know, I'm going through this. You say, well, what about you? You don't have any authority. You want to sit in my office and hear what the spirit of God has to say to me when I miss it? I take my role seriously, and I've missed it. Believe me. I've walked out and had the Holy Spirit say, you've missed it. To lead my family, to lead my wife, and missed it. It's very important. But this is a word of God in leadership to be responsible to what God has said. So in Numbers chapter 20, we see this. We see that as Moses is leading Israel, right, and they get thirsty... There's water. God says, go to the rock and strike the rock with the rod and water will come forth. And so it happens. So later on in in chapter 20, God tells him this. Now listen to me very closely. God tells him this. God says, I want you to go to the rock. The people are complaining against Moses. When you're leading people and they're complaining, you know, it gets to be a little bit difficult. You know that if you've led your family, you know that if you're an employer, I'm not whining about being a pastor, uh, you know that in any direction God's led you. When people are just rebelling against it, it's like, mm, if we could just all get together on this, I know it'll work. But everybody has an opinion. And so they're complaining, and God says this. He says, go to the rock. This is what God is saying to Moses. 
He's not holding one person in that congregation accountable to this word. But he's planning on doing something for Moses to the people through this word, but Moses isn't seeing it. And he's not responsible to see it. He's responsible to obey it. And because he's already seen the outcome of striking it with his staff, he goes in, in chapter 20, you can read it, he goes to the rock, and then he looks at the people and he says, you all rebellious people, whack, whack, and he strikes the rock, and God still brings forth water. But God didn't say, good job, we got water for those complaining people. No, God went back and he said, because you did not obey me and speak to the rock. You will not go into the promised land, as I said to you. He, as a leader, was responsible for what God had said to him, not what the people were doing. God will take responsibility in that relationship for what he said to us to perform it. We yield to that will be prosperous. As a husband, I'm responsible to study the Word of God, to get the wisdom to apply it to my life, to ask God, where's my family going? What should we do? And to obey and to respond to that Word, to speak that Word to my wife and to my family, to the best of my ability in hearing, to speak that to them. This is the direction. I cannot force them. I cannot make them. I cannot beat them down to listen to what I'm saying. All I can do is say it and do my best to be an example of living it. It is up to them to hear it and to walk in it. If we begin to do that, there's going to become a power union instead of a power struggle. Now listen, the responsibility of this word, I'll just use a couple, couple more uh, with you. You know, Genesis chapter 1, you know they did sin. They partook of the tree. And when God came down, he didn't say, Eve, Eve, where are you, Eve? He came down and he said, Adam, where are you? And he first approached him and got a hold of him and said, what are you doing? And he said, what? Not my fault. And Eve said, not my fault. Serpent said, I'll take responsibility. I tricked him. I led him away from you. And he said, because you've done this, God started working backwards. He said, because you've done this, you'll crawl on your belly and I will send the seed of the woman and she'll bruise your head and you'll bruise your heel. Now you, young lady, because of this, you're going to have pain in childbirth. Now you. Because you listen to your wife. You're going to till the ground. You're going to make what was supposed to produce for you. You're going to have to produce it. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. Now you're going to have to work by your own strength to make life produce for you. Why? Because you listen to your wife. <gasps> we'll just broaden this. Because you listen to somebody instead of me. So we read it, we're, we just skim over it pretty quickly. We're like, and she ate, and she gave to her husband, and she, he ate with her. It didn't just happen like that. They had a conversation. So let me just stick with you a little bit what this might look like. 
has no reflection on any conversation I've ever had with my wife. It's just an imaginary conversation. You said, this is really good. I think I'm getting smarter by the minute. Adam, you must have been wrong. I'm not dead. I ate of this like the serpent said. I'm feeling good. My tummy's full. I think I'm even getting smarter. And Adam went, huh, maybe so. Give me that. Everything changed when he ate. Why? Because he was responsible for the word God gave him. In the family, we need to be conscious of that. Not every word is from the husband. If we go to the Proverbs 31 woman, which don't you think it's interesting? We don't want to hear about the headship of the husband, but don't take me to Proverbs 31. That is an unachievable woman. But God said, no, both are achievable for power union. If a man will learn and ingrain himself in fellowship with God, God will speak to him and give him guidance and authority and responsibility to lead his family well. But he puts somebody right next to him, and it says in Proverbs chapter 31, 17, there's wisdom on her lips. So there is a time when he should listen. But there's a time when he needs to know and obey God. There's a chain of responsibility that comes. It's my responsibility in the church to hear from God and to do the best that I can to present it to you. In obedience to God. And the I can tell you right now, this is one of those messages. I'm like, no, not doing this. Give me something else. But he says, you can either obey me or not. I would rather obey him and say I did than be afraid of you. It's taken me a couple weeks, but he said, because you listen to your wife. Leaders. We already saw Moses, King Saul. For Samuel 15, God said, you go wipe out the Amalekites. Wipe them out. Utterly wipe them out. Didn't wipe them out. God goes to Samuel, you need to go talk to Saul right now. He goes to talk to Saul. Saul said, we did exactly what God said. We wiped him out. He said, then what's the bleeding of sheep? What's the bah? What's all this going? He goes, oh, well, the people thought we should keep the best and sacrifice it to you. The people. He said, has God such great delight in sacrifice and burnt offerings as he does in obedience? Because you have listened to this people, I've repented from making you king. Wow. We need to take the chain of responsibility seriously. So for everybody who's getting nervous, I know the piano's playing. To understand this as leaders, we know God already has this. Maybe I'm only talking to me and my staff and the husbands in the room right now. 
the young men who will be husbands. The key to this is humility. The key to this is humility. Turn over to James chapter 4 real quick. Is everybody doing okay? Amen. We've had dysfunction in the chain of responsibility, which has led to abuses that have taken place and now we many times don't recognize or understand what God was endeavoring to do from the very first place. If we look at society and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, but my family, my situation, my husband, my wife hasn't done this in the past. Somewhere we have to say, again, instead of not my fault, they're not doing their part. What do we do next? We need the word and we need wisdom on what to do next. Please understand me in my intensity. I am not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to over, be overbearing to anyone. I believe this covenant relationship and how it's guided is so vitally important and the bond of it is so vitally important. I'm not standing here saying having to fit into two of these three categories as a husband and a pastor that I've never made a mistake. I've made too many mistakes and had to go with the correction of the Lord and still have to stay totally open and say, man, I'm, I'm, I just want to hit the mark. I don't want to miss the mark. God, forgive me if I've missed the mark. I can tell you today when I finish this, I'm going to ask him, did I do it or did I miss something? And he'll tell me. And I'll have to look at that. But am I perfect? I'm not perfect. Coming from humility, then talking about what we will talk about uh, in a couple of weeks, the guidelines, love. Have I loved perfectly? No. Have I endeavored to love perfectly, the best of my ability? I'm constantly bringing that to God. But again, loving people and then correcting them as a spiritual father. Whom a father loves, he corrects. And when you live in a society that says, if you correct me, you don't love me, we really got some dysfunction going on because a father can't actually love his children or his people and correct them because they feel unloved. So for me, it's just how do I do your word, obey your word, and temper it with love? What does that look like? James chapter 4. Verse 6, it says, But he gives more grace, therefore God resists the proud, he gives grace to the humble. Say, how am I ever going to do this, God? How am I ever going to be the proper husband and leader to my family? How am I ever going to be a proper leader in my job? How am I ever going to be this proper leader with my children, whatever it is? He said, I'll give you more grace than you ever dreamed possible if you'll humble yourself before me. God, how are we going to do this? Humble yourself, and he will give you more grace than you ever dreamed possible. Yeah, but I haven't done it right. How am I going to change this? Humble yourself, and he'll give you more grace than you ever dreamed possible. And so saying, wait a minute, it's not my fault. We're here, it's not my fault. Humble yourself, and he'll give you more grace than you ever dreamed possible. 
But what about what they're going to do if they don't? What if they don't do it and I do? Humble yourself, and he will give you more. See, we're having goat moments. Okay, pastor, I understand what you're saying, but, and I can hear your butts. And that's just you trying to stick up for yourself. And I'll just tell you this. When you say, I'll do it my way, and then you feel like I got to stick up for myself because it's not my fault, but you did it your way, so how can it not be your fault? You made your choice. Again, you can say, not in every occasion. Things work. Most situations that we're in right now, we were confronted to apply the word and we didn't. Because we thought maybe the way I'm thinking about it would be better. The amount that I'm going to give, what I'm going to say would be better than what God's told me to say, which is pride. I'll do it my way. But when the results of doing it my way turn, it's not my fault. But he says, if you'll just humble yourself, not beat yourself over the head, not say, okay, this is my fault. It's just all my fault. No, I didn't say go crying about it is your fault. That's why I was very cautious to say what I believe God said to say. Don't go back and say, oh, it's my fault. Or it's not my fault. Here we are. Doesn't look like what God said it should be. What do I do now? Humble yourself. He'll give you more grace than you ever dreamed possible. First Peter Chapter 5, verse 1. Speaking to leaders here. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partakers of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as an overseer, not by compulsion, not will, uh, but willingly, not by dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you, for you, for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm closing right now with two scriptures. And a challenge. 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to do this real quick. Because when we go to Ephesians chapter 5 in the Amplified Bible. It lines out. I noticed this. It's lining out men's role. And it defines that a man should love his wife as Christ loves the church. She should submit to him as to the Lord. And it gets to the end and it says these guidelines. Love and respect. So that a man ought to love his wife as his own body. This is even the Amplified Love his wife as his own body, and the wife should see that she, she respects, venerates, adheres to. I mean, it goes to everything that respect means. So I'm not letting the men off the hook. 
So you can go to Ephesians 5 if you want to and begin to read that, but this is what I'm going to do. So men, you ought to love your wife in leading, in being responsible, a good steward of your family. To have the command and the authority of the word, then you need the guideline of loving her. So husbands, love your wives. Suffer long with them and be kind. Don't envy them. Don't parade yourself or be puffed up. Don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful of your leadership. Don't behave rudely with her. Don't seek your own. Do not provoke her. Don't think evil of her. Do not rejoice when iniquity takes place, but always rejoice in the truth. You as a husband bear all things, believe the best in everything, and expect all good things to happen. Endure all things that come your way, because love, the love of God, never fails. You can open that and then amplify. That was my own little translation of the New King James. Men, I challenge you in taking your place of authority, responsibility in your home. Instead of going like, yes, I'm glad he said I'm the head of my home. I challenge you to open 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the Amplified Bible this week, along with Matthew, your chapters. Read and meditate on 1 Corinthians 13 and say, how am I going to lead this way. Ephesians chapter 5. Ladies, challenge you. No excuses. No what if he does, what if he doesn't, what if he, right? We could do that. We could circle that all day long. But, praise the Lord. Got to get there just a second. Let's start in verse 33. I'll start at the beginning. However, let each man of you, without exception, love his wife as being, in a sense, his very own self. And we read what that means. And let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband, that she notices him, regards him, honors him, prefers him, venerates him, esteems him, And that she defers to him, praises him, and loves him, admires him exceedingly. Well, wait a minute now. Humble yourself, and God will give you more grace than you ever dreamed possible. Yeah, but wait a minute. I already said this. I'm doing my best to deliver the word of God. We have dysfunction. Tasha said this last week. Pastor Tasha said this last week. God spoke his word when there was no light, when there was chaos. And by speaking his word, the Holy Spirit made order out of chaos. We have dysfunction. We're not operating correctly. How are we going to change that? We speak his word 
to our dysfunction. And the Holy Spirit will make order out of chaos. If you think the enemy's not going to attack you in areas this week, mark it down. He's going to come knocking at your door. What are you going to do? I'm just telling you, when you resist him, you humble yourself to the word of God. You present God's word in his face over and over and over again. He must flee from you, from your marriage, and he will flee from this place. I'm telling you, in Jesus' name. Why don't you stand up? Y'all okay? I love you. I'm doing my best to obey God here. I know there's all kinds of stuff flying around in your head right now. And if you want to stay till midnight, we can try to explain it and break it down. <laughs> but I'm going to have to release it to the Holy Spirit and to you. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Right now, Holy Spirit, I've done my best to obey what you told me to do. I release it to you now to deal with every heart and every life, every mind, every thought midst of what's going on in everybody's life, you know that, but you said by the anointing, you could put things back together like they'd never been broken. You could deliver from what had bound us. You could set us free. And in that, you could bring life. So I entrust that to you. That we'll become stronger in our relationship with you because we will reverence you and your word as the authority in our life. And we'll receive the love that you have given it to us with. We'll respect that. We'll reverence. We'll venerate. We'll fear you with great awe of who you are and what you desire to do in our life. And God, as husbands, we'll take that word, that awe of you and your word and the presence, and we'll process it in our heart and our life by your word, and we'll seek to be the example and take the authority over the enemy in our homes and stand and present the light of what you've done for us as leaders in our home. God, as staff and pastors, department leaders, God, that we would take your word of God and understand the power of it to present it to your church. And then all these things that that word would have the preeminence to our life, that we would hear it, we would understand it, we would allow the Holy Spirit to work us together as a body and covenant relationship joined together to navigate that which is to come in the world in a power union together, whether us with you, us in our marriage and family, us as a church, a power union that will move through the storms and tumultuous times and come out as a light in a dark place, a city set on a hill that will draw those in darkness to the very light that we live in. And that light is the light of your word and the application of it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we yield that. I give that over to you to work with every heart and life in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Why don't you say as we go, oh, there will be altar workers up here. If you need prayer for anything, they'll be up here to pray with you, stand with you about anything that you need. Say as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds any power. Any damage done to me by Adam's fall. A lot going on in here. You can be dismissed.